Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, your host for this show. And if you don't know me, I've written a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all available at Amazon for your reading pleasure. And if you're an audio buff, you can get volumes one through eight at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Bill? A little chilly, as I was just telling you. It's a little chilly up here today. You know, down here in North Carolina, it's also a little chilly. <laughs> Gonna have to put my Bigfoot slippers on <laughs> if I had them. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's a good thing to ask Santa Claus for next year. Yeah, you know something. Uh, speaking of good things, you know we got a lot of good listeners, and uh, my buddy out in uh, the West Coast called the other day, introduced me to his brother Jeff on the phone, who for some reason was excited to talk to me. If Whoa. you can imagine. <laughs> Listen, it's got to be something mentally unstable about you if you're excited to talk to me. Maybe it's the first time you got to use the phone at prison. <laughs> Was it a collect call from a federal penitentiary? No, no it wasn't. Oh. And I didn't hear I didn't hear anybody say move along, your time is up. <laughs> Cuz that would explain it. But I'll tell you something. Uh, uh, we had a nice conversation, and I love these guys. And uh, they sent me some pictures. Uh, they were at this Squatch Fest in uh, Washington. And uh, Jeff had bought uh, a casting or a cast of a Bigfoot handprint mm. and uh, a Bigfoot footprint cast. They came from uh, Cliff Barrackman's, Barrackman's uh, museum called the, uh, what is it, the North American Bigfoot Museum? It slips me now. Yeah, that sounds right. Something like that. Yeah, at, and so uh, I went on there and bought a cast for myself. Oh, very cool. Yeah, neat. Really neat. Uh, uh, P, they call it the PNW print. There's a little bit of a story behind, but I believe that just stands for Pacific Northwest. Ah. Uh, and then there's another one. I asked them to give me a call when they create a few more of them. It's a small operation. You know, they yeah. they have the original cast and they're making copies of it. But uh, 
I'm real excited just to have it. You no, know, to that sounds around. cool. I got to check that out. Now they go for like a hundred grand, or <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, ship to me. The one I bought was about seventy bucks, maybe. Okay, all right. And uh, I'm just glad to have the stuff around. You know, so less than uh, a hockey jersey. Yeah, less than a hockey jersey. But, of course, it depends what hockey team you're talking about. True, true. <laughs> Our jerseys here in Carolina are getting more and more expensive. I mean, they just keep winning. I should have bought uh, some like five years ago. <laughs> just buy them off the Internet. <laughs> you, you get Buy some from some fans that became Ranger fans or Islander fans. There's mm, none of those. <laughs> <laughs> they go the other way. <laughs> so what do you got, Kevin? Uh, cryptids in the news and other oddities segments. Yeah, today. yeah, I got a good one here, Bill. So this is um, from the news, and it's fr- was published again, I guess, in uh, the Chicago Tribune on March 20th, 2013. But this particular episode happened on November 7th, 2006. Okay. And this, if you're not guessing already, was uh, one of the O'Hare, Chicago O'Hare UFO sightings. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty cool. So um, I'm also going to put on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, under this episode, which will be episode 136, 136. Um, you got to go, and you too, Bill, you got to go and listen to this YouTube um, recording of the United Ground Controller, United Airlines Ground Controller, talking to the main tower controller, the FAA tower, and uh, then other folks chiming in on the radio after that, saying what they saw over the Seagates, the Charlie Gates of United Airlines at Chicago O'Hare Airport. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. And even the chatter is pilots, mechanics, United executives. I mean, it's pretty cool. Now, the guys in the tower didn't see anything, or at least said that they didn't see anything. Yeah, interesting, huh? Yeah, very cool. <laughs> they, they got the best seat in the house, and they didn't see anything. Well, I don't know. I, but, but when you listen to it, I mean, I think you're going to find the podcast interesting. But when you uh-huh. listen to this um, YouTube, it's a video, but it's really audio of mm-hmm. the uh, the um, radio chatter. Um, you can tell it's authentic. I mean, it's authentic to me because I've listened to the tower chatter for so long, Bill. And as our audience may not know, I know we've mentioned it. Our dad was an air traffic controller, so you know yeah. we know we know how that went, right? And Kev, believe it or not. Uh, I have the ATC app on my phone. Oh, yeah. And lots of times at night when I'm sitting at the computer at work, I tune it in with my earbud, and I'm listening to the uh, the final approach to Kennedy in New York. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I don't know why. It's, it's, it's very mundane. People would say, why do you bother listening to that? I don't know. I just enjoy the back and forth. 
between the controllers telling them uh, what speed to what what runway. So, Bill, I listened to it as well. And, okay, there uh, you go. And then and then some of the airlines. I won't mention which ones because they're not paying us. But but you know, Bill, and our audience. Some of our audience knows. You know, I've probably flown like five million miles on the airlines. And, yeah. um, the, you know, some of the airlines, they broadcast it on one of the channels on the seat radio. So you can listen to them talking to, you know, the flight centers, ground control and the local uh, tower, too, as they get handed off from one to the other. And it's super cool. And you also hear everyone else, you know, yeah. on that frequency. Right, it's interesting, you know. I just, I just enjoy it. I don't know, it just kind of warms my heart when I listen to it. Yeah, yeah. I was on uh, on that uh, frequency on, you know, plugged in uh, with my headphones into the uh, seat back, so to speak, and was listening one time. We were coming in somewhere, and Air Force One was there, and that was kind of oh. interesting because you know the controllers are like, uh, we have uh, Air Force One uh, in the pattern, so uh, everyone's gonna have to sit tight for a little while. <laughs> that's interesting so i didn't mean to interrupt no you, it's all good cool, so let know? me tell you about this article and i'm going to uh, uh read some of the snippets of it from the chicago tribune and uh and then we can talk about it so okay so it goes like this where again it happened on november 7th 2006 and they write about the fact that a flying saucer-like object was spotted over Concourse C of, U- of the United Airlines Terminal by pilots, airline management, and mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the uh, article that was published noted that the object was first seen by a United ramp worker, around 4.30 p.m., so it's daytime, Bill. And yeah. they talk about it that it was gate C-17, and you'll hear that in the audio uh, as you click on it on our website. Mm-hmm. So it's like, first off is the ramp controller talking to the supervisor, the United Ground Controller supervisor, and they're saying, hey, listen, uh, we got this disc-like UFO object over Charlie-17. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, super cool. <laughs> Kev, you can imagine 4.30 in the afternoon at Chicago O'Hare. Forget about the workers. You know how many people must have been around there, driving around, standing around, who saw that as well that we'll never know about? I'm sorry to say I've spent a fraction of my life in the O'Hare <laughs> terminal and yeah. in Terminal C. And yeah. um, and, I, and I know exactly where C-17 is, as sad as that is. And um, I, I, unfortunately, I wasn't there to see it. That would have been super cool, but I could Lovely. only imagine. And, you know, Chicago O'Hare, it alternates usually between uh, uh, Atlanta and Chicago O'Hare as being the busiest airport in the world. So yeah. if it's not the busiest in 2006... It was like probably number two. Yeah, well, I'm sure there's tens of thousands of people passing oh, yeah. in and out of there every day. Oh, more than that, I bet. But who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But so, so they said. Um, so that so this uh, person saw it at uh, at this United ramp worker saw it at 4:30 p.m. After that, a number of different vi- witnesses from all different roles at the airport. 
uh, called in to talk about it, and they said the object was dark gray, and some said it appeared like it was spinning, while others said it wasn't rotating at all. So you got a mixed bag there. Mm-hmm. But all agreed that the object was silent and appeared just below the 1,900-foot-high cloud deck that day. Mm-hmm. And then they talked about the fact that it shot off into the clouds and left a circular hole shape in the clouds. Freaking so remember amazing. that. Shot off into the clouds and left a circular hole shape, because we're going to get to that at the end here. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, at 1,900 wh- feet, by the way, is not a very high cloud. No, cover. pretty that low, pretty low. But of tight, course, Chicago, Chicago, the weather is always miserable. Sorry, Chicago fans. <laughs> So that that that's like a sunny day in Chicago, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and and oh, one yeah, of the yeah, mechanics yeah. reported, he said, but I knew that what I saw and what a lot of other people saw stood out very clearly. And it definitely was not an Earth aircraft. Yeah. All right. Well, who is who is he to say that? What does he know like, about Earth aircraft? Hey, at least the tower didn't tell him it was a bear. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was a bear. Yeah, flying circular bear. Yeah. A manager on Concourse B, so they saw it on C, but a manager on Concourse B ran outside his office after hearing the report on the radio. Um, he said, "No, I know no one would make a false call like that on the radio. But if somebody was bouncing a weather balloon or something else over O'Hare, we had to stop it because it was in very close proximity to our ongoing flight operations." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, a a, lo- a large disc-shaped weather balloon that exited quickly. Putting a hole through the cloud cover. That's uh, that yeah, would be nine, an and nineteen hundred feet over the busiest airport in the world, <laughs> yeah. or even the second busiest yeah. airport in the world. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. But this story was eventually picked up by many major media outlets, as you would imagine. And you know, here we're talking about a story in the Chicago Tribune, and uh, and the Federal Aviation Administration refused to investigate the incident back there. On that on that day. Hmm. And that's really interesting, Bill, because one of the reporters talks about it as, you know, it was five years after um, 9-11. So you'd yep. think like if you saw this, you know, unidentified, let's call it a UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena at the world's busiest or second busiest airport, you know, you probably should look into it. Yeah, or maybe have some jets scrambled. Why not? Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, they got them there. You know, I'm sure they got some F-16s, you know, and F-15s or F-15s parked around O'Hare for this type of a situation. Yeah, and you can't tell me nobody picked that thing up on radar. Well, I mean, that could be, though, because it could be a stealth craft. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't, when you're looking at one of these... UAPs, not seeing it on radar. Hell, if it was one of our uh, uh, latest fighters, you wouldn't see it on yeah. radar either. Yeah, well, they claim like the F F one seventeen has the signature of a bird. Oh yeah, 
And the uh, F-24 has a signature of a BB. Yeah, I mean, a BB, come so on. So forget it. You know, it's not that. Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, no, I, it's true, Kev. You know, yeah. it's true. So the FAA, they dismissed the incident eventually as a weather phenomenon. And uh, Dr. Mark Hammergren, an astronomer at Adler Planetarium, agreed, saying that the weather conditions at O'Hare that day were just right for what's called a hole punch cloud. And have you seen one of these hole hole punch clouds, Bill? I have, actually. Okay, so I never saw one until I started researching this. And I'll put Mm -hmm. some pictures of them up on uh, the website, which I can't believe I've never seen one because I've seen the disc clouds all the time over the mountains and stuff like that that look a little bit like a UFO. But I've never seen these hole punch clouds. But they are freaky looking, by the way. Oh, but by the way, Kev, I've never seen one personally. I've oh, seen but you've seen the pictures of them. Of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. But I've say. never even seen a picture of them until I started investigating this. And... Um, they uh, that thing is super cool. But the thing about the hole punch cloud, I mean, basically, folks, you got this. If you think of it like a paper hole punch, you got this hole that gets punched out of the cloud. And that round disc of cloud that got punched out is there below the cloud. It certainly looks freaky deaky um, and, you know, could be mistaken as a UFO, especially if the light's hitting it the right way. But it doesn't shoot off and fly through the cloud afterwards. Right. It doesn't. I thought they took off at incredible rates of speed flying back <laughs> through the hole and spinning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Little and green they turned, No, they they turned gray metallic all of a sudden. No, not those. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess I'm wrong. I want to believe I really want to believe. <laughs> so, you know, although these hole punch clouds are super cool looking. You know, when you see them, and again, I'll put some pictures of them up on our website, BigfootTerrorInWoods.com. Um, they don't shoot off and take off from below the cloud. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it just, it, you know, it, it boggles my mind, Kev, every time I enter into one of these uh, stories about a sighting, how there's got to be some alternative explanation. It can't just be that... All of these witnesses saw what they saw. You know, yeah. they have to backtrack. Jeez. Yeah. No doubt about it. But again, listen, folks, uh, listen to this uh, YouTube uh, recording that I'm going to put up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, under podcast 136. And Bill, you know, you listen to it, too. It's super cool. Yeah, now, how many pictures were taken of this? I'm being facetious and making a point. No, yeah, I mean, they, but I couldn't find any of the pictures on the web. Now, that doesn't mean they don't exist, because people talk about it in these stories that there were many pictures, but I couldn't find any. That doesn't mean they're not out there. So, folks, if you're listening and you find these pictures, send them to us uh, at contact us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Yeah, and, you know, uh, the point I'm making is just getting back to the act of picture-taking of incredible events. It's it's rare. Right. It's, it's as, as rare as the events are, the surfacing of pictures of the events is almost equally as rare. Yeah. So plenty of people stand back and say, oh, well, you know, how come? Uh, well, look, I don't know. 
but it is rare. And if you talk to people who've had events like myself, uh, when I said I had a camera in my Jeep and didn't move to get it. So, yeah, take it I mean, for but what we it's talked worth. about a bill, not arguing with you at all. But like I have pictures and video of that UFO or UAP that I saw off of Los Angeles, you know, five or six years ago. And, um, you know, again, they, the government said nothing was going on at the time. And then weeks later, they said, oh, yeah, that was a Trident uh, missile fired off of a submarine off the coast of Los Angeles. You know, and I'm sitting there. It was eight o'clock at night on a Friday night off of one of the largest cities in the world. And really, you're testing out Trident missiles off of Los Angeles next to LAX? Los Angeles International Airport, like yeah. without telling anybody, like really, yeah. doesn't I don't think quite so. ring true, you know. Doesn't really sound right, Bill. Yeah, could you imagine be uh, being on some type of approach pattern, uh, or even in a small plane or something, and having that thing come ripping up by now, you? Now you tell me somebody fired it by accident. Okay, I believe that. <laughs> But not that they were testing them on Friday night at eight o'clock off yeah. off of Los Angeles. There's a yeah, whole I'm, big ocean out there. You don't have to test them there. That's right. Yeah, you could have moved out forty miles or fifty miles or yeah. something. You know. Yeah. Amazing. Simply amazing. Yeah. So cool story again. Um, you know, make sure, folks, if you don't go and look at if you like this story and you don't look at anything else on our website, go watch this YouTube video because it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I promise job, you, Kevin. you won't be disappointed. And that chatter. That's what I mean. Uh, it's all about the chatter. And they're having right. fun. Like, you know, the at first, the controller says to the woman who's at the, uh, the, you know, the local tower for United, ground operations for United. He's like, hey, uh, you guys start your, Christmas, start, your, start your Christmas party a little early over there? Like, what are you guys drinking? You know. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says, Bill, he literally says, well, you know, if we did see a UFO, I'm not sure we would tell you that we did. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah well, it was pretty, pretty funny. And then he and then he goes on and he says, "You sure it's not some new aircraft you guys are rolling out over there at United?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it only holds funny. six passengers. <laughs> exactly. And you, you got to be, be small, than, less than five feet tall. <laughs> the seats are kind of narrow too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good job with that, Kevin. Again, people, go uh, uh, tune into that YouTube video, and you'll uh, really be entertained by what you hear. And I tell you something, Kevin. I got something uh, really neat here today, and I'm, it's a kind of a long-winded account, but the detail is exquisite. Uh, right. Kev, you, rem you remember the, uh, the villain on Batman, Egghead? Egghead, of course. Remember? Egg squizzit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that guy. He, I, I, he must have been somebody famous. Everybody who played on there was notable. I just don't know who the guy was. Like, Cesar Romero was the uh, Joker. Remember no, him? It was, yeah, he was the Joker, and Frank Corshin was the Riddler. Riddler. Yeah. 
Right. And then Burgess Meredith was, of course, the penguin. The penguin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm going to shave about a page and a half off of this. And I still got a, a few pages of this account. It's all good. But just to walk you into it, uh, about 20 years ago, this couple from uh, here in New York... Uh, self-proclaimed rock hounds. They're people who spend their vacations and time off digging around for fossils, rocks, minerals, and different places around the states. I thought you meant they followed around like the Rolling Stones and stuff like that. Rock yeah, hounds. Yeah, rock, rock hounds. <laughs> <laughs> and they found themselves down in North Carolina uh, one May digging for megalodon teeth at some mine. So they were at this location where they dig up scoops of dirt and you can sift through it, and people find these old prehistoric shark teeth there. Hey, Bill, I got to interrupt you. So that must be for the New York tourists that they tell them about that because we find them on the beach. Yeah, I mean, apparently I mean, it's amazing. I've never found one, but my buddy who lives about a half a mile from my house out at the coast, he finds them all the time. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, And it's like a full meg- megalodon tooth right wow. in the sand. Well, you know what I say, Kev? People find things because they're looking. Oh, I know. People but you know things. me. I'm looking, but I don't find yeah. them. But I'm still looking. Don't. I'm not giving yeah. up. Well, don't forget, I want one when you find two. Well, I got to find two, though. Come on, I don't even have an autographed <laughs> book yet. <laughs> so while they're down there, they meet meet up with this couple named the Tylers from Oregon. And over a period of a couple of days, they uh, start sharing war stories about collecting rocks and fossils. And they told the Tylers that they had about 70 or 80 pieces in their own collection uh, most of which they bought. And the Tylers say that we have over a thousand pieces and most of them we got in Oregon. So two years later on the invite from the, the Tylers, uh, this couple, the Saladinos, went up to Oregon on their invitation. Now I'm just going to bring you into where uh, things began. Now, let's see here. We have... uh, Okay, so here we are. My husband and I had set our sights on an area surrounding the Clackamas River near Estacada, Oregon. The river is frequented by whitewater kayakers and hikers alike, but according to the Tylers... This area also contains a wealth of cinnabar, petrified wood, and jaspers. We made our way into the surrounding area with our camper, having an older Dodge with a half camper in the bed. We have a Coleman gas stove, porta potty stashed inside, as well as a small propane heater that keeps it quite toasty in cold weather. Not self-contained, but a decent place to crash after a day of rock hunting. Generally, we look for places where we can park without much of a hassle, but that tends to be fairly easy in rural areas anyway. On this trip, we got lucky. We nestled in at a campground called Indian Henry, 
just past Pup Fall. From there, we could easily access the Riverside Trail, which is about five miles in and out. It's a bit shorter, a bit shorter of a hike than our previously planned location, which would have been about 10 miles. The Riverside Trail twists and turns along the Clackamas River, and at times it even crosses the river. On the first day in, we decided to do an exploratory hike so that we could see if there were any noticeable hot spots. Doing a preliminary hike helps us determine the best areas to search so that we can focus our time and energy wisely once being on the hunt. This place was beautiful. At times, you could still hear road traffic, but as the trail meandered through the forest, the sounds of the cars faded away. As it turns out, we were not alone on the trail that day. It was hardly a mob scene, but we ran into a few dozen people during the day's hike. There were areas high above the river where you could hear water rushing below you and areas of old-growth forest where you couldn't see too far in any direction since your vision was so obscured by the large pines and dense undergrowth. The way the path wound through the forest like a serpent, you spent most of your time going up a little grade and then coming back down. Once we reached day's end, we had located several prime areas for exploration and scoped out some viable river bars which we felt would be accessible with hip waders. In most places, the forest was hard up against the river's edge. There were only a few exceptions where rounded rocks and small boulders had collected, forming small river banks. These areas are prime locations for our rock hunting since they act as catch points for anything and everything coming downriver. If you dig a little deeper, you could find treasures that were buried by the current years ago. My husband and I referred to this entire area as the Land of the Lost, naming it after the old Hollywood movie. If you let your imagination run wild, you could picture a stegosaurus or a saber-toothed tiger sneaking around in the undergrowth. There were massively wide trees everywhere, and clusters of broad-leaf ferns filled the space between them. With decaying fallen trees and limbs laying strewn about the forest floor in every direction, it was a neat little place of paradise. I love the detail. The next day, we headed down to an area by the river that looked promising the day before. But we couldn't seem to shake an eerie feeling that hadn't been present the previous day. Do you know the feeling when you get, when you feel like someone is watching you? We feel this all the time when we're hounding. Generally, when we look up, there are a couple of people somewhere watching us at work. Everyone wants to watch us doing what we do, and people always want to know what we are looking for. It makes the hunt wonderfully social. However, on this day, we felt that feeling all the time, regardless of whether or not there was a person in sight. As it got later, we hadn't found anything worth keeping. Unfortunately, this is generally the case when you're rock hunting. 
It's not as though there were valuable pieces just waiting for you to put them in your bag everywhere you go, lurking under every stone that you flip over. If that was the case, we would be multi-millionaires, not rock hounds. However, perseverance does occasionally pay off, and when the day drew to a close, my wife found a magnificent piece of dark green bloodstone, which is a stone that is generally associated with the common opal. It was a fantastic find and may well be the best piece in our collection to date. When we awoke the next day, it was a dreary and drizzly rain. Now, we're not easily deterred from our hunts, so we donned our rain gear and headed out. This day, we felt very different as we headed down the trail. There was not a soul in sight. We had the entire place to ourselves. It was awesome, but at the same time, it was a little bit eerie to be there alone. Who knew what mysterious things were lurking within the confines of this woods? We had been digging for about three hours. At the day's sight, when we heard an air horn blast. Someone else must also be wandering around the area and perhaps had seen a bear or something that they wanted to scare off with the horn. A small boat horn is a basic part of hiking equipment. One loud blast will generally send anything in earshot scurrying for cover. To us, it signaled that we weren't alone and that there may be a bear around. Both of us stood up and turned at the same time after hearing what sounded like a deep groan accompanied by a splash. Standing in the river's edge, about 75 feet away from us, was a Sasquatch. Almost immediately, it turned to look at us. The Sasquatch seemed to be as shocked to see us as we were to see it. My husband and I were frozen in fear, and the creature didn't move. It stared at us, and we stared back. Black eyes the size of golf balls sat deeply inset in its skull, giving the beast's face a mean and intimidating cast. It could attack us if it wanted to, and we knew it. After a long, tense moment, it started slowly swaying from the waist up. It made a couple of deep, guttural sounds, and my husband crept over to my side. We didn't know what to do. This thing was well over ten feet tall and I closed my eyes once or twice. It was the only movement I was capable of, and I kept hoping I would find myself in the comfort of the truck when I opened them again. Surely this could not be real, but there was no waking up from this. The sheer immensity of this creature was staggering like standing alongside of a Clydesdale horse. The bulk 
lay at the extremes of human cognizance. It had to have been nearly five feet wide at the shoulders, and it only tapered off slightly at the waist, with its weight being somewhere upwards of 1,500 pounds. Its arms alone were six feet long, and the hands on this thing were as large as a hockey goalie's glove. Its head was set set deeply into heavily muscled shoulders, leaving no visible neck, which made it seem even less human if such a thing is even possible. The patches of visible skin were somewhat gray, mostly covered with longer, darker brown-to-black splotches of hair. This was the real deal. We were up close and personal with a Sasquatch. After what seemed like an eternity, a second creature partially emerged from the brush. We could only see its upper body and arms, and it did not step into the river like the other. Instead, it stayed where it was, watching us. From what we could see, this one was about two feet smaller than the one in the river, but also every bit as as massive in its own right. When the second one appeared, it brought with it a strong stench of feces, which had not accompanied the first. Suddenly, the one in the river kind of flexed its upper body like a strong man's pose while letting out a large, deep huff and a grunt while both arms moved forward with its fists clenched. My heart leapt into my throat. I thought for sure we were done for. Instead of rushing at us, the beast turned, took one step into the brush. They both disappeared as suddenly as they had appeared, and we heard nothing more, not even a whisper. They had vanished like two ghosts. We remained there for about a half hour, wondering where they were and if they were possibly in the forest alongside of us, watching our every move. Maybe whoever had blown the horn had seen them passing through the woods and thought they were seeing a bear. We slowly got our gear together and made our way out of the woods. This was a large and old forest. I told you it felt like a dinosaur could be roaming around. But outside of the confounds of the park and the trail, there were some roads and many fairly open tracts of property. It was hardly a desolate location with a fair amount of people, dwellings, and some business-related structures scattered about the countryside. Nevertheless, here, in their very midst, these two monsters roamed around. The very idea to us was inconceivable, even though we had seen them ourselves. Having had both the greatest find for our collection and the greatest encounter imaginable to mankind, we left. We will never forget it. Before we left the state, we stopped by the Tylers to talk over the events that we had witnessed. They told us over coffee and cake 
that such things were heard of in Oregon, but they had never given any real credence to the idea of Sasquatch. And there you have it, my friends. Once again, we have a case where people saw something because they're looking for something. I think the biblical narrative says, seek and you will find. But sometimes it seems like you may find something other than what you were seeking. Or, as happened in this case, they found both. What do you think of that, Ken? Whoa. It's a lot to talk about there, Bill. Can you imagine... Standing in a river on a drizzly, dreary day, digging around, hearing this horn blast, recognizing it as a potential warning from somebody that saw a bear, and then have these two creatures show up 75 feet away from you in the very river that you're standing in. No, and by the way, Bill, you know I've done a lot of hiking. I mean, I'm not a professional or a guide or anything like that, but I've done a lot of hiking. I have never heard an air horn on a hike, so that would scare the crap out of me if I heard that. Yeah, because you would know what it kind of meant, right? I mean, like, well, I mean, the fact I've never heard one just in itself, you'd be like, what the heck is somebody trying to tell us? Yeah, who blew that thing? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be something serious. Yeah, either maybe somebody's in trouble or a warning, you know, whatever. It's it, something. It would definitely. It's something. It would definitely get your attention, you know. No doubt about it. Yeah. How about this freaking thing, though, man? Ten foot tall, mm. staring them down. Yeah. Great description then, too of the skin and the eyes and everything else, right? Yeah. Well, they're detail-oriented people. Yeah. And uh, you know that's why I like to interview people because when somebody sends you an email or a little uh, whatever it may be it it takes a good while to talk to somebody and really bring you into if you can of course it depends on the individual who they are why they are where they are what's the weather what's the terrain what were you doing there you know and then it creates this uh, a picture of the whole scene leading up to and maybe even beyond uh, the encounter, you know? Oh, 100%. Yeah. But uh, just incredible. And for them, how about that? It all began to that, for them running into these people in North Carolina. It's pretty cool. Then they, they go up to Oregon, their first shot into the hey, state. Hey, wait a minute, Bill. Where did they go? Oregon. <laughs> I said it, didn't I? Uh, you said it a bunch of times. I just had to bring it out because yeah. our friends out in Oregon are going to be like, come on, man, it's not Oregon. I always say Oregon right. I know. Well, you just said it right there. Stop thinking <laughs> of it. Maybe by accident. But interesting, though, how beginner's luck that they go into the state and the other couple had heard about it, but never gave, gave any credence to it being a reality. I mean, absolutely wild. No doubt about it. Yeah, just uh, incredible, you know. I don't know. You know, I, 
you know, obviously they thought they were dead. And I, mean, I don't blame know, them either, Bill. Yeah, there's no escape. You know, you're, you're hunkering down. Maybe you're thinking we'll try to put up a fight. But when you're looking at something like that, it's like, what are, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know. Uh, remember that Remember that chubby guy in the Three Stooges and the latter ones from the 50s? No. I think Joe Besser. Joe Besser played him, and he used to say, Don't pinch me! Oh, okay, I didn't know it until you told me that. <laughs> Don't pinch me! <laughs> Anyways, that's it. I mean, an incredible story. Again, folks, follow up on Kevin's posting of that YouTube uh, chatter from O'Hare, the radio chatter, and... Uh, what an incredible uh, Bigfoot account, man. Great. You know, just bizarre stuff. Clackamas River in Escatada, Oregon. I have not been to the Clackamas River. I have been to North Kakalaki, though, just to be sure. North Kakalaki? That's what they call it down here. <laughs> when you're hunting uh, megalodon teeth. North Kakalaki. <laughs> North Kakalaki. <laughs> it's awesome though Bill this giant beast with the gray skin the black sunken eyes I mean we hear that description just like that so many times yeah and you know of course we think of the black eyed children Ooh. but when you look when you look at just black eyes it, it just kind of goes through you well, you know. and, and I mean, I, I honestly think black-eyed children, of course, well, you know this too, black-eyed children and the beast are two different things. But when something's this big and you're seeing it in these forest settings and stuff like that, you know, the black eyes. I mean, I've been real close to big bears, and I might say they have black eyes. It's not like, you know, they have blue eyes or green eyes or yeah. hazel eyes, yeah. you know. yeah. Yeah, you know, and you're usually seeing them in like the shadows of the forest. So it's like, yeah, but that's not the same as black-eyed children. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. No, I but know. it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the shark. Exactly. You know, the exactly. Look, Similar to the a shark, shark is looking like, at. Yeah. God forbid you come face to face to a, uh, you know, a uh, uh, great white shark. You might be thinking, eh, it's a little bit like a black-eyed children, but it wants to borrow more than my telephone. You know, <laughs> I remember during one of the shark weeks on uh, Discovery in August, uh, they were talking to these abalone divers from oh. uh, Australia. And this one guy was talking about, they dive very close to the shore, in very turbulent water because it's in that oxygenated turbulent water that these abalones really thrive. Yeah. But it's also where the great whites can ambush you the best and where they like to hang out. By the way, Bill, same thing in Northern California. I got a buddy, I had a buddy, he passed away, not from a great white shark, uh, just about two years ago. And he would, as a hobby free dive for abalone off the coast of Northern California where, you know, you have these kelp fields yeah. right there in the Pacific where, where we know yeah. the great whites hang out. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, he would he would dive for the abalone there. Now, he never talked about it as the turbulent waters, but I'm sure that what that's what it was. 
Well, he's lucky he didn't get killed by them. Oh, no doubt about it. But he was like a free spirit, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, this particular guy who I'm getting at uh, gave testimony of one day when he was on the bottom. He turned his head suddenly, maybe sensing something, and the white was like next to him with its mouth wide open. Mm. And it hadn't bit him. It was like parked next to him stationary with its mouth open and the teeth. Mm. And he took he took the bag with the abalone in it and shoved it in the shark's mouth and made a beeline for the surface with his flippers and yeah. actually escaped. Yeah, and we learned now, right, recently, over the past few years, most of the people that get attacked by these great white sharks, they never see it coming. No. You know, which is probably a good thing. But yeah, just bang and bang. Just bang, because they do that crazy ascent from directly below the prey. Mm-hmm. You know, like surprise attack, almost like the Luftwaffe, you know, in uh, in World War II. Yeah, yeah. I was watching Anyways. this uh, new special on World War II in color on uh, Netflix today. Oh, my yeah, goodness. what is it? Well, they were just saying that the... Uh, the, they had this guy who flew a Spitfire in World War II. He passed away since they filmed it, but he passed away in like 2019, I think. And and wow. he was saying that most of the pilots in uh, in the RAF, the Royal Air Force, they never saw the plane that shot them down. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, even though the RAF beat the Luftwaffe, thank God, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, yeah. but... But they said most of the time the pilots never even saw the plane that shot them down. Yeah, it's all about gaining an advantage. Yeah. And a great white shark attack. Yeah. That's it. Unbelievable, man. Wild stuff. Well, good stuff, Kev. So, what do we have from our listeners? Yeah, so we got some listener mail. Um, The first note comes in uh, from, let's see here, from June. And June doesn't... Oh, from San Antonio, Texas. She says, hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. And she has an idea for a show. So she says, have you ever heard of Mel's Hole in Washington State? And uh, I have heard of it, June, but I have to look into it further because she said it's supposed to be around Ellensburg, Washington, which I have been camping in Ellensburg, Washington, believe it or not, years ago when I lived out in Washington. And Uh uh, she says, I don't think you've done a story on it. Uh, They say it's a bottomless pit that the ranch owner of the property has dropped dead cattle, a truck, and various other unwanted objects into and insists he's never even heard the object hit bottom. Yeah. Yeah, and people have said that once the object goes into the hole, it's just gone. No sound of it striking the sides. Nothing. Creepy, huh? Like the black holes you all discussed recently. Well, June, this is different (laughs) than the black black holes we discussed out in outer space. This is uh, a little different than that. And uh, she says, uh, Bill, rest assured, here in Texas... I always carry more gun than I think I'll need in the back of back country canyons and the grocery store. God bless Texas. Love y'all. June. 
June. Yeah, There's you know, no doubt go... about it. I'm thinking there ain't no road rage issue, issues in Texas. <laughs> I can see June in the uh, produce aisle, you know, just flipping up heads of lettuce and blowing them out of the ceiling. Oh, I could see her walking in there with uh, two nine millimeters on her waist with a pair of cutoff jeans on. Whoa. Whoa. Just saying. <laughs> hey, somebody shoplifting? Just let me know. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Go ahead. You can try and take my purse. <laughs> but don't I'll leave you, it right here. Go ahead. Don't try and take one of my nines. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jude. Uh, I happen to be pretty familiar with Mel's Hole, Kev, but oh. I'm going to leave that up to you to check that out, and we'll do a little, uh, we'll do a little uh, show of that one day and uh, talk about it. Uh, I've actually heard Mel interviewed. Oh, really? So there is yeah, a Mel, probably, like it's on Mel's property. Yeah, well, it, it, there's quite a story behind Mel and this hole, uh, and... Uh, I heard Mel talking about this location for probably about four hours. Oh. And uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, it was apparently well-known by locals to be there. It wasn't like Mel's discovery. He happened to have bought the property and realized after he bought the property that other people in the, in the area had known about it, and a lot of people had come to this hole just to throw crap out. Right. Pushing refrigerators down there and <laughs> dead animals, and and it never got full, and nobody could ever hear anything hit the bottom, which uh, we'll leave that for when we do the show about it, uh, should we do one. All right, cool. I mean, yeah. I don't mean to laugh about everybody going out to throw stuff in the, in the hole, but it's kind of funny. Yeah, well, it was just kind of like an oddity Yeah, that people would just come and for an excuse, they'd bring something they needed to throw out and chuck it in there. Cool. Uh, just as an excuse to go over there and, and see if this time maybe they would hear it hit the bottom. Cool. And uh, it's a very, very strange uh, place indeed. Very cool, Bill. And our last yep. letter tonight is uh, goes like this, and I got to touch on this one because they mentioned one of our favorites in it. It says, uh -huh. hi, Mr. Sheehan. I guess he's talking to me, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> he says, I'm not sure why I'm unable to send you an attachment. It wasn't anything important. I saw a cartoon picture of some black-eyed children. And it made me think of your show and how much you love them. Hopefully I can figure <laughs> out how to send it to you before they find you. <laughs> that is awesome. This is Brian, by the way, from North Kakalaki. But uh -huh. uh, uh, Brian, like we do love the Black Eyed Children. And if they come to your house tonight and knock on the door selling Girl Scout cookies... Yeah. It's a problem when they have when the Girl Scouts have black eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I'll tell you what. If they come knocking on my door, I'm going to put them in a half Nelson and keep pounding their head on the rail until they're dead. (laughs) (laughs) But Brian from Asheville, North Kakalaki, goes on to say, I do wish to comment on the show Alaskan Killer Bigfoot. Bill Uh was very kind in his review. It started out with such promise, but quickly went off the rails. The show began with the possibility of Bigfoot, then they brought in psychics, discussed Spanish curses, and finally brought in a demonologist to exercise the area with an industrial fogger filled with rose water, sage, and holy water. It seemed yeah. like it became a mixture of mountain monsters and the Blair Witch Project minus the entertainment factor. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, Brian. And then he says, and they absolutely did not bring more guns than they thought they would need. They needed to have brass on the ground and lead in the air. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, that's awesome. I think we're going to quote you on that. When those black-eyed children show up at the doorbell, there's going to be brass on the ground and lead in the air. You better believe it. <laughs> and he and says, you know thanks something. for all you do and prayers to your sweet wife, Paula. Brian well, from Asheville, lot, North Carolina. You know, Kev, and the, the, the sad part was they were there. I mean, they were in Portlock. Oh, I know. And the fact that these jokers, now look, I know there was cameramen hanging around with them. How many? I don't know. But Nobody had a gun on them except for this one guide who was supposed to protect them while they were there. Yeah. Uh, And how they could be wandering around in the middle of this primeval forest, uh, at the very least have some protection against bear, uh, and, and then they're looking for possibly a Bigfoot that destroyed the community... Uh, 60 years prior how do you go into that location with no arms mm. it just does it's just beyond me like what do you think you're gonna whip them with a fly fishing pole <laughs> i mean it's ridiculous. Yeah, well you do know that this area is a an area that's known for a very aggressive bigfoot now, most areas where Bigfoot is sighted, right? You know, certainly more than 50%. They're not particularly aggressive. But this area, mm, not the case. Yeah. And by the way, all yeah. the other large furry creatures that are around there, as Brian would say, you got to be prepared to put some brass on the ground and some lead <laughs> in the air. That's what I'm talking about. And if you really want some comfort, take June along with you, <laughs> and, and she'll be bringing she'll bring, be bringing some uh, metal to the show. <laughs> that's awesome! Wow! All fantastic. right, Bill. So that's our listener mail, and we went to the mysterious um, up in uh, Chicago O'Hare, one of the busiest airports in the world, and then then out to Oregon with two different couples going out and looking for and finding the hairy man. Yeah, incredible stuff, man. And folks, remember, if you find yourself walking around the Clackamas River in Oregon, 
You better remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight. Thank <laughs> you.